0: You're
2: listening to Viewpoint Alabama, a public affairs program from the Alabama Radio Network about the people, places, and events that impact our state.
3: Hello, and welcome to Viewpoint Alabama. I'm Angie Norvell, your host. Today, we're going to talk about Down Syndrome. You know, Down Syndrome Awareness Month is coming up. It begins October 1st through the 31st, and there are so many events and ways to reach out to those with Down Syndrome to help the organization in their efforts. Today, we're talking with Sue Tolley, Executive Director of Down Syndrome, Syndrome Alabama. Welcome to Viewpoint Alabama.
1: Thank you for having me, Anzi.
3: You know, one in every 691 babies in the U.S. is born with Down syndrome. That's about 6,000 every year. And there are approximately a half million people living with Down syndrome in the United States. Um, Sue, so first let's just start out with the basic thing. What is Down syndrome?
1: Down syndrome is a genetic condition that happens at conception. It is on the 21st chromosome. There are three copies. And it affects every cell. Of the body.
3: How does it affect those cells? It's developmental.
1: Um, there are some physical features. There are also some health issues that can be, um, not generalizing, but in some cases um, can be um, an issue for individuals with Down Syndrome. Some cardiac issues, some GI issues, um, and some uh, basically developmental uh, delay issues with learning um, and progress. But it doesn't limit them; it's just a
3: delay. Understood. And life for a Down syndrome child—let's start there with school. What are some of the challenges for parents with of a Down syndrome child in public school systems?
1: Well, we have to even back up earlier than that, Angie. Oh, A okay. child with Down syndrome, because we want to—we always want, we want, we want to put um, the child first. If we want to look at their development, starting way before school, so as early as twelve weeks parents will be contacted by an agency, Alabama, um, early intervention, or there's Bell Center or UCP's hand-in-hand um, to do early intervention. That is literally where a child's development for education starts. And it's just a jump start for um, OT, PT, speech, to help the child develop and um, to make up time. And it's made great strides and a huge difference for children with Down syndrome. So by the time they get to preschool, They've already had a lot of therapy and a lot of intervention and a lot of
3: support. And we see that the children in in schools, I understand that um, they they have to spend a little bit longer in school. Um, Most kids are uh, through the age of 21, is that correct? In high school? It
1: is. In, In schools, we really want to promote inclusion as much as possible because we want to see the child as independent. And to get them as much as skills and education and inclusion with their community. And so children in school, their community are their classmates. And I can honestly tell you that the child with Down syndrome gets great benefits from being included in the classroom as much as possible, as well as the students who are in the classroom, they benefit as well, maybe if not
3: more. Every kid wants to be just like the other kids. And do you find that 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 is is something that you see in the the classroom when you visit classes or, or when you talk with some of the parents or some of the kids?
1: Absolutely. I'll give you a quick comparison. I'm 58 years old. My class, graduating class, was 1,200, so that was huge. Wow. And if you're talking 691 children, we are there should have been at least two people in my school. Well, they were already a special school across the street. We never saw them. Now schools today, unlike that, my daughter had a small graduating class, and she had five people with Down syndrome in her class and so she was very aware and that's the first thing we want to say that inclusion brings awareness the second thing that it does is it brings acceptance so you know when my um i hear parents and teachers when they're in inclusive classrooms their classmates take care of them their classmates are part of the education Those classmates are going to be their future neighbors, their future lawyers, their future doctors. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be their community. So it's really important that from early on in their life and their education that they are um, included, they're accepted, their education and learning process is all part of that. So that when they get to be adults and they've gone longer in high school, Um, At 18, it switches when uh, everybody else is graduating and going on to college. Mm -hmm. People with Down syndrome can stay in school, but at that point, it switches to what's called transition to adulthood. So it's life skills, social skills, work um, experiences, um, identification of interests, because that's one of the things we really want to do with people with Down syndrome is we don't want to pigeonhole or um, be... Uh, generalizing them on what they can do. We want to see what they're capable of doing and what they love to do because I will tell you one thing, Angel, they are amazing workers and Thanks. they love to work and they're dependable. I have employers tell me all the time, these are my best employees. They're dependable. They want to come to work. They never want to miss work. They don't mind their work um, and they love being with their coworkers.
3: And that's and a so- good thing nowadays, people willing to work and wanting to work. And you do find oh many goodness. companies that, that, that do that. I, I know there's a gentleman at my local Publix uh, mm-hmm. that, that has Down syndrome. And, and you find that there are many employers who are willing to uh, work with the Down syndrome community and, and, and show what great people these are and the efforts that they wish to make in being part of society.
1: And the contribution that they make. Because here's the thing, the life expectancy for people with Down syndrome has in greatly increased. Up until um, 20 years ago, the life expectancy of a person with Down syndrome mm-hmm. was in their 30s and early 40s. It is now late 60s and early 70s. So where before their, their school-age years and their young adult years was basically their lifespan, that's not the case. Post-high school, they're going to have a very long life, and so we want that life to be full of purpose, full of contribution, and full of value that they give and value that they receive and knowing that they're valued, and, um, and that's really important.
3: Now, for a person with Down syndrome, after they turn 18, 19 years of age, they're considered an adult. Uh, uh, are there resources for a Down syndrome person who, say, maybe in their 20s and unfortunately has lost their parents, they're on their own? What kind of resources are available to those people?
1: And I'm so glad you asked. I'm, this is really important for every parent who has a child with special needs. It's once they turn 18 and are considered an adult, when they have their 19th birthday, the parents will, you know, they, they are then on, they're considered an adult mm-hmm. and they will get their Social Security um, or their SSI, right. depending upon their status. But the most important thing is that parents sign their child up for the Medicaid waiver. Medicaid is health insurance. Medicaid waiver is services and it's provided by our government. There's an 800 number for the um, Medicaid Waiver Center. It's 1-800-361-4491. It's called the Medicaid Phone Center, and it is imperative that parents sign their children turn up. Now, they're gonna go on a waiting list, but if they don't get on that waiting list at 19, it's just gonna delay what they're gonna be able to get. And these services are so important because they're the services that help them go out into the community. Beyond that, they do get Medicaid or Medicare, and they get Social Security. So they've they've been eligible ever since they were born because a diagnosis of Down syndrome happens immediately, either prior to birth or at birth. So they've had a long time diagnosis
3: that's confirmed. Okay, so they could go to uh, say Medicaid.gov website and find more information there. Absolutely. Okay. Good deal. Now, Down Syndrome Alabama, we are speaking with Executive Director for that organization, Sue Tolley, on Viewpoint Alabama today. And October is Down Syndrome Awareness Month. And boy, do you have a lot of events going on. Um, <laughs> now, this do. program airs on Saturday. Some of our stations we air on Sundays. And Sunday, September 24th, we're looking at it right now. Pre registration, Step Up for Down Syndrome, Buddy Walk 2016. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is it and, and how folks get involved?
1: But Well, our whole campaign for the month is called Step Up for Down Syndrome. It begins on October 1st, which is Alabama Down Syndrome Day, okay. and people the week prior can either register to walk at our walk, which is October 2nd at Ventures Park. We will have food trucks out there from 12 o'clock they can picnic or um, have lunch and then at two o'clock we have a great ceremony that recognizes our fundraisers and our champions this year our champion award is going to Brassfield and Gory, and then we have um, a kickoff to the walk and then there's a, a ceremonial walk that goes right across the park in front of the pond and it's just a beautiful day it's We had almost 2,000 people last year, and we had a blast. We have activities for all ages. Wish to Enrich Zone is an activity zone with um, sports and painting and um, all kinds of things, and that's being assisted by uh, UAB students. Mm -hmm. We also have, um, have clowns and face painters. Home Depot is doing a craft center. Um, we have, um, individual arts and crafts that are there for the kids. We have Fun Source is providing, um, inflatables and we have, um, all kinds of fun things to do while they're out there. And it's, it's a really fun day. Okay. And so it ends at five o'clock okay. and, um, we have a great DJ. So there's lots of dancing for the whole entire right. day and, uh, we have a great time, but it doesn't stop there. We, um... The entire month, um, they, we have wristbands that say, step up for Down syndrome, that people can wear or buy or sell um, for $10. And it spreads awareness to say, "Not we're telling, asking people what to do. We're saying, please step up for people with Down syndrome. Don't just see. Don't just know. Do
3: and make it count. Those shirts and and bracelets and such, they can be bought at the Down Syndrome Alabama website? They can be. Okay. And that is DownSyndromeAlabama.org. Okay, good deal. And then just jumping backwards real quick to let folks know yeah. that's October the 2nd for the Buddy Walk. And that's right. going to be at Veterans Park. And for those who don't live in the uh, Birmingham metro area, what we're talking about is Hoover, the city of Hoover. And Veterans Park is located off of Valleydale Road. And then jumping forward again, as we just discussed with the T-shirts and the bracelets to step up for down syndrome those can be purchased at the down syndrome alabama website that's downsyndromealabama.org and let's see oh 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 i wanted to also talk about coming up in the month of october for down syndrome alabama spooktacular at the birmingham zoo what's that all about that's actually
1: um culture city is hosting that with the birmingham zoo and they invite Um, the organizations who are advocacy groups for special needs, and that is at the Birmingham Zoo, and it is a wonderful night. You can get tickets at culturecity.com, and they're $1.
3: Wonderful, wonderful. And tell me something I noticed on the uh, Down Syndrome Alabama website, something coming up on October 20th, CHAMPS.
1: Our CHAMPS group is our self-advocates group. Those are adults who have Down syndrome, and they get together once a month, and they are called champs. They're champions with a purpose. And they do um, social activities once a month, or they go to a movie or out to dinner, and they do service projects. And so our uh, adults get together once a month and have a great time together.
3: Oh, that is wonderful. And how about the Run for Down Syndrome on the 29th? That's on the
1: 29th. I'm actually going to back up a little bit because we we're have oh. we partnering with SECO and the Autism Society to do an education conference on October 26th. And so that's a wonderful time for teachers and parents to have an education conference and then, the, and they can get information for that on our website as well. And then on October 29th, um, Southeast and trail runs and mountain high outfitters host a Boo fun run for us. It's a 10 K 5 K and a, a costume fun run. Actually all the runners wear costumes. We had such a blast oh, last year. That it's at like Oak fun. Mountain State Park and it's beautiful. And they can register for, um, to be runners on
3: southeasterntrailruns.com. Okay, good deal. Boy, there's lots of events going on. What else can (laughs) you tell us about in October that's going on? Anything I missed?
1: Nothing that you missed other than there are some great people out there who are doing really wonderful work as far as being able to be self-advocates. We have a young man named Daniel Chaplin who um, works at a law firm, but he is also the national coordinator um, for Alabama for the National Down Syndrome Congress. And then there's Ashley Duranus who lives in Hoover, and she's a a designer, and she has her own foundation. Um, There are some wonderful advocates out there who are really spreading the word that um, people with Down syndrome have interests, they have abilities, and they have a contribution to make to the um, state of Alabama.
3: That's wonderful. Sue Tolley, Executive Director, Down Syndrome, Alabama. Thank you so much for joining us today. For those who would like to advocate and learn more, how can we get in touch with you?
1: They can call us at 205-988-0810. They can visit our website again at DownSyndromeAlabama.org. And they can always email me at DownSyndromeAlabama at gmail.com
3: wonderful. Sue Tolley, Executive Director, Down Syndrome, Alabama. Thank you for your time today. I'm Angie Norbell. This is Viewpoint Alabama.
2: You're listening to Viewpoint Alabama, a public affairs program from the Alabama Radio Network.
4: This is Viewpoint Alabama on the Alabama Radio Network. I'm John Mounts.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
4: No purchase necessary. BDW group prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Societies start with the destruction of the family unit. Some families are missing a parent because of forces beyond their control. But in other cases, choices that are made by adults or made for adults have had a detrimental effect on our children, which creates a ripple effect that is felt across communities, our state, and our nation. The Alabama Family Rights Association is working to preserve promote, and protect family relationships. Joining me now in our Viewpoint Alabama studios is Kenneth Paschal. Kenneth, welcome to Viewpoint Alabama. John, thank you for having me. The reason I brought you here today is to talk about Family Day, which you and the exchange clubs are sponsoring all across the state of Alabama coming up on Monday. But before we get there, let's talk about the Alabama Family Rights Association. Why was it created?
5: Well, the Alabama Family Rights Association was created in 1997-1997, uh, because two gentlemen from Huntsville went through a, a custody situation, divorce, and overnight they degraded from a father to a, being a visitor for four to six days a month. So they started an organization. At that time, it was called the Alabama Fathers' Rights Association for about 10 months. But after after that, they realized because of the phone calls, emails they receive, they're like, this is not about fathers. This is not about mother's rights. This is about family, a child having their natural rights preserved. Even if the parents do decide to separate, the goal is to protect the child relationship with both mom and dad. So that's why it was started to try to change the Alabama customs of restricting either mom or dad to only four to six days to spend time with the child. But most importantly, and my passion is, is still not mom or dad is to preserve the child relationship with both parents. So that way the kids do not have to suffer as we see so often in the news and our community. So,
4: and I think sometimes in those situations where a husband and a wife or they're separated or maybe they were never married and they're just in a relationship together and they've they've made a child and that relationship, something goes wrong and the relationship breaks up. There's still a child there. And I think sometimes both partners, they get so wrapped up in that adversarial thing that they don't realize that they're hurting their son or their daughter because they're so busy trying to hurt each other that they don't realize how they're doing it indirectly. That's
5: true. And that's natural. And a lot of people say, What? I said, Yes, that's a natural response. When you hurt, you dissolve, you tear a relationship apart, those natural behaviors, emotions is there. What we're trying to do as an organization is to if we know that, what can we do differently because our kids suffer? So our goal is to encourage the courts and just throughout the country, you have a winner or loser. So our goal is to shift from the winner or loser to a child having both parents. So that way you don't focus on parents, you focus on the child.
4: And Kenneth, how did it get like this to where courts, it seems like they kind of take sides in these situations and the default is not always the best outcome.
5: Well, default is never the best outcome. Our default is what we call standard visitation. That's when a child is um, only see one parent two to four days a month. But the question was, how did we get here? We Well, we started 1852, and the concept is the same in 2016, where you have a, a winner or a loser. because custody went to dad back then, and then it shifted where mom you know, it was presumed to be the best parent. And then now we still, we're shifting now where it depends on the relationship your lawyer has with the judge to t- determine the outcome. What we're trying to do is use uh, research. The common sense tell you a child needs both parents, but... We have research now that shows um, from 40 studies that kids thrive and they benefit when they have both parents. Even if if the child have two parents, two beds, two kitchens, the outcomes for kids is better than having one parent, one bed and one kitchen.
4: And that makes a lot of sense. There seems to be a common theme in our society anymore that, well, you don't need, the dad is unnecessary or the mom is unnecessary as long as you have the one parent. But I think it's important for both little boys and little girls to have the influence of both a a male and a female figure in their lives whenever possible because Otherwise, you have little boys growing up never knowing their fathers. They're looking for a male role model, and if there's not a man to look up to, they look up to maybe some older guy in the community who might not be who you want your son picking as his role model.
5: Well, you're right, and the research shows this is killing our communities, our state, our country, our Department of Human Resources website, and the Department of Health and Human Services It tells you that when kids grow up absent of one parent, particularly the father, kids are more likely to commit suicide, resort to drugs, drop out of high schools. We see an increase in teen pregnancy. So if we know this, you would think we would shift to something different. Uh, But many people are unaware of this systemic problem. I was totally unaware of it until 2008. I went through a divorce and immediately went from being uh, a dad involved with my daughter to, starting with two days, and then you fight. You spend thousands of dollars to try to get more than two to four or two to six days. and um, But you shouldn't have to fight for something that is natural. You have these natural rights that's protected and shielded by our well, United States Constitution, but we never applied those fundamental rights into family courts, never have in the history of the state of Alabama.
4: And Kenneth, you bring up a good point because I mentioned boys growing up without fathers, but actually girls, uh, it's just as important for a girl to have a father figure in their life because they're going to look to try and replace that. If there's no, if their father is absent, they're going to look to try and replace that father as quickly as possible. And again, they might not make the right choices.
5: Turn the TV on the night, you see the impact. You know, uh, we see an increase in teen pregnancies because many times girls grew up, like as you mentioned, it was trying to fill that void. So some fill it up fill that void with the first man aboard see and they grew up thinking that you only need one parent. So now we're in a generational cycle. So now we have kids raising kids, girls actually get their trust and confidence from the father. So if you take that concept out of the, the communities, you will see, well, why, is it, why do we have increased violence and anger and disrespect in our community? So it's just a ripple effect and um, I think with awareness uh, and education, I think we can make a difference. We're trying to talk with our lawmakers, uh, trying to encourage them. Um, the biggest economic stimulus package we can ever do for our state is to protect the kids' relationship with two
4: parents. This is Viewpoint Alabama on the Alabama Radio Network. I'm John Mounts, and I'm speaking today with Kenneth Paschal. He is uh, from the Alabama Family Rights Association. And Kenneth, we've talked a little bit about the problem. Let's talk about the solution, or what you believe would be a good solution to the problem. Because we've got we're in the situation we're in now. It's a it's hard to unwind this, but maybe we can uh, make an attempt. What we, does your organization recommend as the best way to try and bring? We we know these these relationships are broken apart between the mom and the dad, but to bring the kid into a situation where they have a parent, active parent, and. Equal participation with both parents
5: well what we're trying to propose uh, we support the 40 studies throughout the world we support 112 social scientists throughout the world that says the policies of the state should be kids have equal approximate equal share of parenting with both parents this is what the experts is saying this so our organization is trying to take this information present it to our lawmakers so that way we will change our adversarial policy now to uh, shared parenting being the norm, and then you work your way back from there in situations where there's no drugs, abuse, and so forth. Because we definitely don't want to support kids being in that type of environment. But the starting point is different, it would be shared parenting as the policy, and then you give the courts guidelines to deviate from there.
4: And you make a good point because I think any time we make rules based on or, – or we make decisions based on a hard and fast rule, we're going to make mistakes. There's not a one-size-fits-all solution for things, and I think that's probably how we ended up like this. You can't just say, okay – uh, it should always be 50 50 man, man and woman, no matter what, because if there is a substance abuse problem or, or maybe somebody is in and out of jail so frequently, I would understand why you maybe wouldn't want them to be a big part of your child's life. But if it's just a situation of mom and dad didn't get along, it seems like the child shouldn't have to suffer in those situations.
5: If we shift from the adversarial system to the shared parenting, kids will be more likely to stay in school, less likely to go to our drug courts less likely to fill our prisons population. So it's a win-win for everyone. It's a win-win for our kids. They grew up knowing it's okay, okay to love both half of themselves. So now instead of teaching kids to have anger and hate, we're teaching kids about loving both both uh, parents. And in our communities, we see less violence, uh, less bullying. And from our legislative standpoint, uh, these kids grow to become productive taxpayers. So it's a win-win all the way around, but it's just we've never had an organization such as ours that's reaching out there and trying to look what's really best for our
4: kids. Kenneth, I understand you got a chance to meet with uh, the governor and actually get a proclamation signed. Tell me about that.
5: Well, no, no. August 31st, I I had an opportunity to meet with the governor um, and ask him if he he would support and um, sign a proclamation proclaiming September 26th. This Monday. Yes, the last Monday in September, if we would p- proclaim that as Family Day for the entire state. And what's the purpose of Family Day? Back in 2001, an organization out of New York uh, was trying to address the issue with increased teen uh, drug use and alcohol use. And the study showed that when the parents at least sit down and have dinner with the kids, the kids uh, was less likely to do drugs, alcohol. And participate in other unhealthy behaviors. So, uh, four years ago, our organization started encouraging the local communities, local leaders throughout the state to proclaim September 26th as Family Day. And that's what we're asking you and everyone in the state on Monday to sit down, at a minimum, at least sit down, have a conversation with the kids, ask questions. And that way, those kids, if you have questions, they will go to the family, to the parents not to the outside sources because we know that's not working. and uh, But the goal is uh, about 40,000 kids each year is is torn from mom and dad anyway, so they're unable to sit and have a meal together. They're unable to have that conversation that they naturally desire. So Family Day, we're just bringing this issue to the front and uh, ask everyone to do some type of family activity, even if sitting down reading a book together.
4: And Kenneth, what do you recommend in situations where one parent is willing, but the other one is not? Let's say it's a situation where mom and dad don't get along and uh, the child is primarily in the in the custody of mom. Dad wants to be a part of the life of the child. The mom's like, no, you can't do this. The kid even wants to be with mom uh, mom and dad at the same time. But dad's like, no, I really want to be part of this. How is there any way to redress these situations or is it pretty much a, a loss at this point?
5: Sadly to say it's lost right now, but there is still hope. So what we're trying to do is the next 40,000 kids each year, the goal is to work and preserve their relationships. Uh, once you get in the current system is kind of t- uphill battle. We have seen uh, parents that have terminated their rights after, after seven years, seven, eight years of fighting. We have seen parents commit suicide. We have seen kids commit suicide because they are just torn. So, But there is a loss with the current mechanism, but there is hope for the next generation. So that's our focus is what can we do to make a difference for the next generation? And we can make sure they can freely love both mom and dad. And the concept uh, that the experts is asking the course to utilize is parallel parenting. That means you don't have to get along. Called, the focus is not mom or dad. The focus is preserving the child relationship. So even though you don't get along parallel parenting, you have a detailed parenting plan with the goal of preserving the child relationship with both parents.
4: Well, we've got to about wrap up here now. But before we do, people are going to want more information. And uh, the Alabama Family Rights Association, you've got a website. Uh, Yes, yeah, it's uh, alpha.org. That's A-L-F-R-A dot O-R-G.
5: You can also look us up on Facebook, the Alabama Family Rights Association.
4: And is there there a phone number for those who don't have access to the Internet? Uh, Yes, you can call 205-626-9458. Kenneth, I want to thank you so much for coming in today for uh, for this interview, and I wish you the best on Monday. I know I'm going to spend it with uh, with my family. I'm sure you're going to uh, spend it with your your daughter as well, and uh, I hope g- for great things to come of this.
5: Well, thank you, and uh, please do a hashtag um, my family. Cefi, you know we about put the cell phones down while you're having a conversation, but take, pick it back up, take your picture, share it on Facebook. And we can make a difference.
4: Oh, and you, is there is there a hashtag you want to get trending with this thing?
5: Uh yes, we'll do a hashtag. My family selfie. That's S E L F I E.
4: Gotcha. Okay, absolutely, everyone. My family selfie, and and try and get that trending. Kenneth, thank you so much for being here today. I uh, thank you. This is Viewpoint Alabama on the Alabama Radio Network. You've been listening to Viewpoint
2: Alabama, a public affairs program from the Alabama Radio Network. The opinions expressed on Viewpoint Alabama are not necessarily those of the staff, management, or advertisers of this station. If you have any comments or questions about the program, please send an email to viewpointalabama at arnnet.com. You can also send a letter to the Alabama Radio Network, 600 Beacon Parkway West, Suite 400, Birmingham, Alabama, 35209. Thanks for listening, and please tune in next week for another Viewpoint Alabama from the Alabama Radio Network.